You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we've been talking over the last several weeks about um, just the different ways that God has gifted us and how those gifts are used to help mature the church overall. And so um, we've kind of seen our unity, we've seen our diversity, uh, and then how collectively those two things together, when we're unified in our faith, unified in our understanding of God's Word and the beliefs that we have as Christians, that unity that we experience uh, combined with the diversity that we have as Christians that are equipped with gifts that God has given to us and just that individuality we've talked about that we maintain as believers, um, that we don't lose that and become just like each other when we get saved, when we become a part of the church, we don't become just like each other in all these ways. We have the same belief system, uh, but we use these gifts that God has given to us in different ways to encourage each other and to grow the body uh, together. And so we're going to continue to unpack that today um, as we work our way through um, chapter 4. Uh, we're going to start by reading in verse, let's read in verse um, 8. And our text for this morning is going to be verses 13 through 16, but just to see it once again in the context, it says, Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, in our text for this morning, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so last week we had said that as a result of Christ's victory over sin and death, each believer is now given gifts to help serve and grow others. And these gifts are used most effectively when they are informed and developed under the teaching of God's Word. And so we talked about how um, we're gifted, and then we talked specifically about individuals being given as gifts, right? We talked about how apostles and prophets and these shepherds and teachers are given to the church basically to help inform us about our gifts, uh, to equip us to use our gifts, to do the work of the ministry. And so uh, as believers, we want to submit ourselves to good teaching so that our uh, hearts and minds are submitted to God's Word, we're informed, uh, and then also equipped so that we can use our gifts to minister and to serve others. And so we're going to continue looking at that today. Um, we'll start by looking at our summary sentence. It says, spiritual maturity is attained within the church when her members pursue doctrinal unity through the teaching and application of the Word and ministerial diversity through the exercising of various gifts with an attitude of love. So Paul is talking about maturity in this passage, how we attain this type of maturity. And he says it's possible, it's possible to be attained by the local church when that church and her members pursue doctrinal unity 
through the teaching and application of the word. So these different gifted individuals are communicating God's word. And so we're being unified in our understanding and beliefs. And then there's ministerial diversity because each individual member is different with different gifts. And when we exercise those various gifts with an attitude of love, it leads to spiritual maturity too. So you as an individual believer are going to mature in the local church through a couple of different ways. One, by being under the teaching of God's word. So you're growing and maturing because your, your faith is being deepened through the teaching of God's word. Then you're going to uh, mature as well because you're going to start to use your gifts to serve others. And there's a maturing that happens as you exercise these gifts. And then you're also going to mature because others are going to use their gifts towards you. Okay, so you're sitting and teaching or sitting and listening to the word, being taught the word, and so you're maturing in that aspect. Then you start to use these variety of gifts, and others are using their gifts. So you mature by using your gifts as you serve other people, and then you're also maturing yourself as others are using their gifts towards you. So spiritual maturity is obtained within the church when her members pursue this type of doctrinal unity through the teaching and application of the word, and through ministerial diversity. So we're ministering and serving each other differently. It looks different because we have different gifts. And when we're exercising those gifts with an attitude of love, maturity happens. For our kids, the church matures when church members learn from the Bible and use their gifts to serve others. Now in this chapter, or this section of this chapter, verses 13 through 16, Paul is continuing to emphasize the need for each individual in the church to do their job well. Now, we saw last week there's two key roles that are played. One, leaders are equipping members, and they do so by teaching and modeling spiritual maturity. Members respond to that teaching and modeling, and they're being equipped then to use their gifts to work. And the unity of the church and her beliefs and the outworking of her diverse gifts and ministry uh, to each other leads to spiritual maturity for all. And I think it's important to note that one begins to mature while doing the work of the ministry. You don't wait until you've matured as a Christian to start using some of these gifts. We immediately have a responsibility to use the gifts that God has given to us to help encourage and grow others. Now, obviously that looks different as you step into uh, roles of leadership, right? We don't rush individuals into uh, big platforms of uh, influence and leadership, but certainly the gifts that you have been given ought to be used early and often to grow and encourage others in their own maturity. He comes back to this idea of this body metaphor that we've already seen here in chapter four, and he's going to continue to use this body metaphor throughout this chapter. But he talks about building up the body of Christ in verse 12 we saw last week, and then he kind of closes our section today by talking about the idea of the whole body being joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow. And so this body metaphor is a, um, a major focus of this passage as it helps us to understand the proper change we're to see as we grow towards maturity. Because look, look back into our text today. There's um, two ideas of change that are really taking place. You've got the idea of a child growing into mature manhood. He talks about this in verse 13, that we're to attain the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God. Why? To mature manhood, uh, to grow up into Christ. So there's a change that's supposed to happen. We're to, we're to go from immature believers to mature believers. That's the good change, the right change, the healthy change. But then there's this also negative change that's talked about in verse 14. 
this unstable type of changing where children are perceived to be tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes, meaning that we don't want to be the type of individuals that change what we think and what we believe and how we act on every whim that's kind of thrown our way from different teachers and different uh, cultural fads that come our way. Instead, we want to have this intentional, purposeful change that moves us from being immature believers to mature believers in Christ. And so we'll, we'll talk more about that today, too. Let's start with looking at number one. We have a responsibility to grow up into Christ-like integrity. To grow up into Christ-like integrity. So we're talking about maturity. What does it look like to become a spiritually mature individual within a spiritually mature church? And verse 13 helps us to see that it begins with us pursuing growth into Christ-like integrity. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so you see this picture here from Paul where he talks about unity of faith, knowledge of the Son of God, and when those two areas are growing and we're, we're growing in those two areas of our life, we receive or we get to this point of being mature manhood or reaching this measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, meaning that we are becoming Christ-like in our faith. Uh, I think it's a good reminder to us that if we're learning and growing doctrinally, but it's not transitioning into a lifestyle that looks more like Christ, then we're not truly maturing in our faith. We may be increasing our knowledge, we may be increasing our understanding of doctrinal truth, but if it's not translating into the way that we live, into the way that we treat others, um, if we're not becoming individuals that um, trust God with our uh, trials and circumstances, right? If that time gap between uh, experiencing trials and trusting Christ isn't shrinking regularly, then we're not growing maturely. Like we may have increased knowledge in our minds, but what's the, what's the goal of this maturity is that we become like Christ, Paul tells us. That, that the end goal is that we would reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. But it begins with us having commonality in our beliefs. And we've talked about this for a couple of weeks now. That we're to have unity of faith or a commonality in our beliefs. There's certainly to be unity in our expression of faith in the core beliefs of Christianity. If we're going to mature in our faith then we do have to understand these core beliefs of Christianity, these things that make us Christians, these things that we should hold on to and deepen our understanding of. And I think it's important that all of us this morning recognize that there should be a deepening familiarity and understanding of these beliefs that moves us beyond affirmation to assimilation. Let me say that again. There should be a deepening familiarity and understanding of these beliefs that moves us beyond affirmation to assimilation. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's go back to verse 4 of chapter 4, when he talks about this unity of faith that we're supposed to have. He says, there is one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope but that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I challenge you when we were looking at these verses that my desire for you is that you get to the point where you could, you could talk confidently about these things that we talked about that week. 
not just simply sit and listen to me talk about them and say, yes, Adam, I believe those things. Yes, Adam, I believe those things are true. But to be able to turn around and talk confidently about some of those things to other people, right? Not just affirming truth, but really assimilating it into your life, absorbing it and making it part of who you are as a Christ follower, that you have embraced the beliefs of Christianity in such a way where you've matured beyond just affirming them being true, but you're now able to assimilate them into your conversations to where you're, you're talking truthfully to others about these beliefs that we hold to, right? That it moves beyond just saying, hey, you need to come listen to somebody else tell you the things that I believe, that you're able to, to confess to others, this is what I believe about God. This is what I believe about Christ and salvation and the hope that he's given to us. Moving beyond just affirming this truth, but really being able to embrace it as your own to then use it to communicate to others, to serve others, right? So using your gifts means having a deep understanding of these truths so that you can communicate that truth to other people. We're called to discover more about Christ in his word and to change our minds accordingly to what we find there. Let me say that again. We are called to discover more about Christ in his word and to change our minds accordingly about what we find there. We're not to be content to be childishly ignorant about our faith. That's what he's trying to speak against here. He says, don't be like a child who could sit under somebody's teaching and affirm that is true, but you're not so anchored to it that if somebody else comes along and says some pretty good-sounding stuff as well, that you wouldn't be quickly to then affirm it too, right? That you've got to get to the point where you are so deep in your faith that not only do you affirm it when you hear other people speak it, but you've studied it and been immersed in it enough to where it's now a part of who you are. Like you understand the truth of God's word to where you're not tossed to and fro when waves of change come your way. Instead, you've allowed yourself to be changed by God's word, which, was, which does not change, right? So we're called to discover more about Christ and his word, to challenge our minds accordingly, or to change our minds accordingly by what we find there. And then I kind of put this in my notes too, because I think if we're not careful, like we might mistakenly think that what I'm portraying here is this deep scholarly understanding of scripture that's an expectation for everybody, and I don't think that to be the case. So I put in my notes here, while we're not all called to be Bible scholars, we are called to wrestle with grown-up questions about the application of Scripture to life. And as we mature in that understanding, to aspire to teach the faith to others in our families and our church body with the gifts that we have. Let me say that again. While we're not all called to be Bible scholars, we are called to wrestle with grown-up questions about the application of Scripture to life And as we mature in that understanding to aspire to teach the faith to others in our family and our church body with the gifts that we have. What does that mean? What I'm saying is is that we're not all supposed to reach some seminary level, deep understanding of scripture that puts you like on a scholarly level of being able to be a professor at a college, right? Some of us may be on that trajectory. Some of us may end up there. But what I do believe is a healthy expectation for all church members, for all believers of Christ, is that we reach a point where we say, as as a believer going to God's word, we are asking grown-up type questions about how to take what we're reading and how does this impact my life? What am I supposed to do with this? Not being childish, 
with the handling of Scripture, not just approaching Scripture as such that, hey, I come here on a Sunday morning, I hear Adam preach a sermon, and then I'm, I'm done with that, and then I move on to the next thing on my list for this week. Right? That's childish to just approach God's Word uh, on that type of a shallow level. Instead, we ought to be interworking with God's Word in such a way where this is a part of our spiritual maturity. This is a part of our time in God's Word. Right? We, are, we are pushing ourselves forward. And as shallow as that may be initially, we continue to push ourselves deeper into God's Word. It's why I shared what I shared with the First Peter resources on the realm this week. Hey, we're going to study First Peter as a church family this fall in our D groups, in our C groups. Everybody's level of maturity in how to study First Peter is going to be different right now. Some of us need more resources than others. Right? Some of you may be able to sit down and just read 1 Peter and begin to journal and reflect and apply what you're reading in 1 Peter without any aids. Others of you need a study Bible. Others of you need commentaries. Others of you need stu- uh, Bible studies or um, other resources to kind of come alongside of that. And even those that are more mature than others, it's still very healthy to compare what you're reading and studying and gleaning from God's Word with others to make sure that you're on right track with what you're believing and learning from your study time, right? So we want to to ask grown-up type questions about God's word as we mature in our faith, as we deepen our understanding. He says that we're to attain the unity of the faith, right? We're to have commonality in our beliefs and not just such that we can affirm it when we hear it, but really to have it assimilated into our life to where we could communicate that same belief system to other people too, pursue that commonality of our beliefs. Number two, we're to pursue commonality in our experiences. Not only does he say unity of faith, but he talks about the knowledge of the Son of God. And I think this is a different type of knowledge than just a mental or uh, mindful type knowledge about who God is. I think there's more of an experiential type aspect of knowing God through his word, but practically in our life as well, right? Paul talks in Philippians about knowing the power of God and his resurrection in his life, right? Not just uh, factual evidence from God's word about the resurrection, but to know the power of the resurrection in his daily life where he is being changed to live differently, where he's moving away from an attitude of grumbling and complaining that he talks about in Philippians, Right? where instead he's becoming content with his circumstances, which he also talks about in Philippians, right? where he says, it doesn't matter if I'm brought high or I'm brought low, I've learned the secret of contentment, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? We want to know God, but we want to know him in our life, not just a book knowledge about who God is, but to know him experientially, to share in the same type of experiences we hear others sharing about how God has carried them through difficult times and how God has provided for them in ways that uh, exceeded their expectations, right? Answering prayers beyond what we could ever ask or think. Job 42 is a passage uh, that I come back to a lot in my own life, Job 42, 5, because there Job talks about a transition that he has undergone in his story there. He says, I, I've heard, I, previously I had heard of you with my ears. I'd heard of you. I'd been told about you. But through this experience, he now confesses, now I've seen you with my eyes. What he means by that is what used to be a, a, a head knowledge type of understanding of you has now become experientially true for me as well. I had heard things about you, and now I've seen those things in my own life. 
Spiritual maturity involves both of those things, where we are learning and understanding the unity of our faith, but then knowing the Son of God in our own life as well. These things protect us and and give us a Christ-likeness in our life that will guard and protect us from what comes in verse 14. He says, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. All right? In verse 12, he's saying, or verse 12 and 13, he's saying, look, we want these gifted leaders to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ so that there's maturity that happens, so that we're unified in our faith. We're unified in our experience of who God is. We're reaching mature manhood. We're, we're reaching the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, meaning that it's not just head knowledge that we have, it's, it's uh, a change of lifestyle that we're seeing in, as a result of that knowledge. We're becoming like Christ. And then we become stable in our life. Let's look at the implication here. As believers, we are to be ever-changing into the image of Christ as we submit ourselves to the authority of his word. Told you there's good change and bad change that's happening in this passage. This is the good change. We are to be ever-changing into the image of Christ as we submit ourselves to the authority of his word. We should always be seeking to grow and mature in our faith, to deepen our understanding of what unifies us in our beliefs, and then to experience those beliefs, to experience the promises of God daily, to have a deeper knowledge of the Son of God that goes beyond just a mental knowledge, but a practical daily knowledge of him that leads to us becoming Christ-like. And then number two, we see what it looks like to grow up into doctrinal stability. Again, moving beyond just affirming it to really assimilating it to where when false teachers come our way, we're not swayed to believe what they say. No longer children tossed to and fro by these waves. Number one, we're to be anchored to right teachers. We're to be anchored to right teachers. Paul's already expressed to us the type of teachers that we're supposed to be with. These apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, people who are gifted by Christ, given to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But then you have these other individuals that will will raise their heads in the church, maybe outside the church, or maybe they're going to come and infiltrate within the church. But they come with other doctrines. They come with human cunning and schemes of craftiness that would seek to deceive us. And we must be on guard against those who would seek to divert us from the unity of our faith. We must be on guard against inconsistent doctrines and inconsistent behaviors not found in God's word. 2 Corinthians 4, 2. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. Paul says, We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul's living in a day and age where teachers are coming and going, and they're using a variety of methods, and they're using a variety of doctrines to gather followings. And there was, um, there was financial gain to be had within that ministry. Paul's always very clear in his ministry that 
He's going to work a job. He's not going to financially gain from his teaching ministry. He's going he's to be content with whatever he's got. He's going to be very grateful and thankful for gifts that come his way, but he's not going to uh, basically use his ministry as a way to gain earthly. But others were doing that. Others were gaining earthly means through these ministries and, and using deceitful schemes and disgraceful methods to do so. And Paul says, hey, that's not us. I think the key thing that he says here is we don't tamper with God's word. Because that's really the way to financial gain when it comes to being a, a pastor or a teacher or an author is to tamper with God's word enough to where the sinful individual responds to it still, right? Like, like that's where you get your big gathering. Because think about Jesus. Jesus teaches truth and people leave him right? They walk away from him. And we saw in the gospel of John, they never followed him anymore, right? You tamper with God's word just slightly enough and you get people to keep coming and to keep giving because you're making um, uh, ungrounded promises about what God will do for them. And Paul says, hey, we we don't do that. We don't tamper with God's word. We don't have these disgraceful or underhanded ways to, to, to gather you and to teach to you. We have to be on guard against people who would do that. 2 Timothy 3 tells us how to be on guard against that. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned. Continue in what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He says, remember what you've been taught. Remember what you've learned. Remember the people who even taught you this and like the history that you have with those people. Don't be swayed so easily by somebody new that comes on the scene saying something totally different. Now there's a balance here because what we don't want is to hold on to things that we've always been told that maybe aren't rooted in Scripture, right? Traditions that maybe were valuable at one point that aren't necessarily practical and applicable today. We want to be uh, grounded in things that are clearly found in God's Word and hold loosely to things that aren't, right? And we have to be guarded and careful about those who would come and seek to sway us away from things that are very clearly communicated in Scripture, We have to be on guard against this because these individuals come and Scripture warns throughout the New Testament to watch out for these false teachers, to be anchored to right teachers. Number two, to be anchored to right teaching. Because here's the thing, while I'd like to tell you that right teachers remain right teachers, they don't always. They don't always. And so if you anchor yourself too much to a teacher and then that teacher deviates from the truth, and you don't know the truth yourself, you're going, to be, you're going to be prone to follow the wrongful teaching that that teacher begins to communicate. So we have to be anchored to right teaching. We cannot assume that right teachers will remain right, so we must be anchored to the truth of the word and not the proclaimer only. And a couple of examples of this. I remember in seminary at Liberty, Robert Snowbird and I were working in a youth group, and at this time, you didn't have a lot of like internet resources that you could pull from. I mean, you were kind of, you're really having to go into the Christian bookstore and like still purchase like DVD videos that you might want to show on a Wednesday night, right? 
And I remember at that time, like early 2000s, this is when like Rob Bell and his ministry really starts to take off. And you walk into any Christian bookstore and there's NUMA videos everywhere. And, and I like bought into that initially. Like um, as a youth pastor, I'm looking for something cutting edge that I can communicate truth to my students in a memorable way because they're tired of just hearing me lecture about it. And I remember uh, Rob and I are planning a disciple now and I come home and I'm like, hey, I found this video that'll go great with this teaching session and we play it. And when it gets done, and I look at him, and I'm like, it's awesome, right? And he's like, it's not awesome, right? And he's like, I mean, it's full of stuff that's not okay for our kids to hear. And, and I remember, like, at that point, Rob's only been a Christian for maybe three, four years. And at that point, like, um, I'm 21, 22, saved at five. So, like, I've got way more years of being a Christian, way more years of sitting under God's Word and at that point, he's having to use his gift of discernment to help me see, like, hey, this isn't okay. Now, it was subtle, right? Like, just your average viewing of it, you may not have had an issue with it, but as he began to unpack, like, key statements that were being made, he said, hey, I'm not saying this is heretical. I'm not saying this is evil. I'm just saying we need to keep an eye on this guy because if what he's saying is true and continues to move down this path, like, we're not going to want to align ourselves with this guy down the road, which absolutely became true absolutely became true, right? I've referenced Joshua Harris a lot recently since he walked away from the faith. Here's a guy who I've used his content and material in discipleship relationships, right? Solid uh, information from God's word, solid teaching from God's word, but then he deviates from the faith, right? So we have to be on guard against people who will spring up and have new cute ideas and ways of communicating truth that we would easily want to buy into because we're like, man, I resonate with this. And then we dig into it a little bit deeper and it's like, "Ah, it's not, it's not the unity of the faith. It's not consistent with what I know from God's word. Or we've given ourselves to a teacher who's been, man, just instrumental in changing our life. And then he deviates. Like we have to be willing to say, hey, you're making a mistake, but what you have said previously hasn't changed. Like, the truth of what you said previously didn't change. Like, my, my faith isn't shaken when a guy like Joshua Harris leaves the faith. I don't, I don't step away going, man, is Christianity real? Right? I step away saying, hey, Scripture promises that some people are going to fall away. They're going to they're show themselves to be Christians and then show themselves not to be. Right? We have to be grounded in rightful teachers. Like, we have to be getting taught faithfully from people who are expounding upon God's Word correctly, but not align ourselves too tightly to them to where when they deviate that we feel like we have to go with them too. We're to be anchored in right teaching. We're not to forget the things that we've been taught that are clearly laid out in God's word. And this is where I would also challenge you, don't let your spiritual maturity be tied only to me and my teaching, right? Don't don't let your spiritual maturity only be tied to my teaching. Because here's the thing, I want you to hear the things that I'm teaching from other people out there to solidify your faith in a deeper way because you know it's not just me teaching these things. That there are plenty of other Christ followers who are teaching consistently the same type of things I'm teaching from God's word. I mean, there are fabulous uh, sermon series out there, podcasts out there, pastors that you can turn to to learn from as well in addition to me that will strengthen your faith and mature your faith further because now it's not just Adam saying these things. It's not just Adam that teaches these things, that there's, there's commonality in these beliefs that we have here at Sovereign Hope, right? Because we're not a part of a denomination. We don't have like uh, this, this uh, denominational type statement of faith to turn to and say, hey, there's a lot of people that would affirm what Sovereign Hope believes, but there are, 
There are a lot of churches and a lot of speakers and teachers that affirm the same things that we believe here. I would encourage you to not just use me and my teaching as your only means of listening to a teacher um, expound God's word for your own maturity. I think that um, it's healthy to listen to other teachers who are teaching the same things to gain a deeper appreciation and understanding of the truths that we're holding to here. The implication here is that as believers, we are to be never changing in our beliefs in spite of the enemy's best efforts to sway us with new ideas. So previously we said, as believers, we are to be ever changing into the image of Christ as we submit ourselves to the authority of his word. Now we're saying we are to be never changing in our beliefs in spite of the enemy's best efforts to sway us with new ideas. Paul says, don't be like a child. Don't be like a child who can't make up his mind or is easily swayed to do other things. Don't be carried away by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Be discerning enough to identify these things and to see these things and to see the flaws of some of these things. There's a good way of changing and a wrong way of changing. We're to be constantly changing as we grow into maturity, but we are to avoid the type of constant changing that comes with these passing fads. I feel like Apollos is different than some of my other kids with some of the ways that he changes very quickly what it is he wants. He'll come into the kitchen a lot of times and I'm in there doing dishes or making kids lunches and he'll start like demanding certain things that he wants. Like he wants a banana or he wants cheese or he wants certain things. Um, And it's very definitive. Like, like dad, like I want these things. Like I want a banana. Hang on, buddy. I'll get you a banana in a minute. He's still just standing there. Banana, 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 banana. So finally I give in, I walk over, I undo the banana, hand it to him, and he's like, no, no. (laughs) It's like, wait a second, like you've been begging for a banana. What has possibly changed in the last three seconds that now the banana is not what you want? Or cheese, I'll tell him, no, 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 cheese, 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 cheese. I go and open the cheese up and hand it to him, and he's just like, no. I mean, just like disgusted that I would even offer him cheese. Like clearly that's not what I want, Dad, right? That's the picture that Paul's kind of given here of a child who just kind of is constantly wavering and changing, like not really consistent, easily swayed by his stomach and his taste buds as to what he wants and what he doesn't want. Paul says, don't be like that type of guy. Don't be like that individual who who is easily swayed. Instead, be grounded and stable in the things that you know to be true. We're to conform to the unchanging truth of God's word which is an intentional, purposeful, it's towards a consistent goal, right? We're changing as believers, but we're changing into Christ-likeness. That's the picture, to mature manhood, to the fullness of Christ. We don't change to conform to a changing goal where individuals would come in in society and try to divert us away from being Christ-like to this new agenda that they have. There's some ways that we're being attacked with current trends even now. How we should understand and relate to gender and sexual choice and preference how we should understand and relate to marital choice and preference as well, how we should understand and relate to the cause and effect of racial injustice. These are messages that are coming forth that are different from what Scripture teaches, Um, but they're promoted in such a way where it's easy to be swayed to think, like, I need to start thinking in this way, that maybe we have grown as a society in such a way where the teachings of Scripture about sex and gender are just old and outdated. And and maybe they were uh, historically relevant at that time, but now... Culture has changed in such a way where we need to adapt new belief systems about these things. No, no, there's a unity of faith in God's word. God's word does not change. We need to be stable in our understanding of that. Number three, we grow up into truthful charity. We grow up into truthful 
charity. He says in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I found it really interesting that the Greek word for what Paul, in the English language, what we're seeing here that Paul says here, this idea of speaking the truth in love, like it's a, it's a real loose translation because we don't have a way of translating what the Greek is really saying. What the Greek is really saying is that we're to be consistently truthing in love. Now, truthing is not an English word right? Like you type that into your Google Doc or your, your word processing um, document that you're using, and you're going to get the red squiggly line under it every time, right? Because truthing is not a verb, and yet in the Greek, that's what's being said here, is that we are be, we're to be about the business of truthing in love. And so uh, commentators were, were basically saying, like, this is, this is us being faithful to be truth tellers and truth maintainers and truth doers, uh, to try to make truth into a verb to help us see that really it's not just speaking truth in love, but it's about always being about truth in a loving way, meaning that we don't compromise the truth. And I love uh, what First Timothy 3 says about the church in general and its value on truth. First Timothy 3, uh, verse 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Like that's what the church is supposed to be, a pillar and buttress of truth. So we don't want to minimize the importance of truth. Like we don't ever want to minimize how important truth is. But what Paul couples it with is so important too, is that we can't be truthful at the expense of love. 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us of that, that we can, be, we can be about all the right things, and if love is not attached to those things, they, they aren't right anymore, right? And so we're to be speaking the truth in love. We're to be truthing in love is the indication here by not compromising the truth, but upholding the truth with an attitude of love. Number one here, we cannot attempt to be loving while veiling the truth, because that would be hypocrisy, to believe certain things are true, but in the name of love, veil that truth so that we can be loving towards somebody. We cannot attempt to be loving while veiling the truth or attempt to be truthful while being dismissive of love, because that would be brutality. Instead, we're to reach a point where we can be truthing in love or speaking truth in love, treating people with truth with an attitude of love. And that's that's where the transition happens here between coming back to this idea of using our gifts, right? We're equipped as the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. We're to be maturing to the point of being like Christ, not swayed by every other doctrine that comes our way. Now he comes back to the idea that as mature believers, we are to speak the truth in love to others. Why? Because others are going to hear these false teachings come their way, false doctrines, false ideas, false opinions and, and false um, suggestions, false advice that's going to come their way. And so we've got to counteract that by being individuals that speak the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way so that we can help others grow up in every way as well. We're to reach a state of counseling others truthfully and lovingly in how the gospel affects our lifestyles, decisions, and attitudes. And this isn't just for pastors, right? 
as we use our gifts, we are to reach a state of being able to counsel others truthfully and lovingly in how the gospel should affect their lifestyle, their decisions, and their attitudes. We should be able to have biblical conversations that are rooted in gospel truths and use that as a form of teaching and growing others to be mature in their own Christ-likeness. We need to grow up so we can speak properly to others. Let me say that again. We need to grow up so we can speak properly to others to be able to give them truth and to be able to give it to them with love. Okay, we can't use our gifts if we're not maturing ourselves. Because to use our gifts effectively, to encourage and to teach and to build others up, to exhort others, it requires us being able to communicate truth to people, but to be able to do it in a loving way. Because there's people out there that can communicate truth without love. It's a sign of immaturity. There's people out there that can communicate love without truth, and that's also a sign of immaturity. I've told you before, I remember sitting at the the cafeteria table um, at the Marriott at Liberty, uh, freshman year, and having these uh, self-proclaimed biblical scholars sitting in front of me, telling me how I should believe about Scripture. And they were right. And yet I hated everything they said because they said it without love. And so they're, they're sitting there thinking that they're doing me a service. They're trying to help me see the errors of my ways in the ways that I've understood Scripture previously, in the ways that I've understood God previously, the ways I've understood His sovereignty previously. And they're trying to correct me with that, but they're doing it with such a lack of love. I remember walking away thinking, even if they're right, I don't want to believe what they believe. And I also remember thinking, if I ever believe what they believe, I'm going to believe it differently than they believe it. Because it's such a turnoff in the way that it's communicated. There are people out there that can communicate truth without love, and they do a lot of damage with it. There's people that can communicate love without truth, and that does a lot of damage as well. And we have a responsibility to be maturing in our faith, not just to where we could sit under my teaching or anybody else's teaching and say, hey, I affirm those things, but to assimilate it in such a way where you could communicate those same truths to others. Because it's needed when you're sitting on break at work and somebody's going through whatever they're going through and they need solid biblical advice for you to have the opportunity to use you and your gifts and abilities to communicate truth to them, but to do so in a loving way. That's what Paul says is the goal for us, to mature in such a way where we can speak truth in love. We need to grow up so we can speak properly to others. Number two, we cannot fail to do our part as a member of the body. We must grow ourselves and we must help others grow with our gifts. That's how he kind of closes this section here. We need to be people who speak the truth in love, grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part's working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. As we grow into Christ, as we use our gifts, the body becomes healthy overall. And while we're ultimately dependent on Christ, he has designed his body so that we become dependent on each other too. Let me say that again. We're ultimately dependent on Christ, but the way he's designed his body is that we become dependent on each other too. We need each other, and we need each other to use our gifts so that we can mature properly. We can't fail to do our part. We have to use our gifts to play our role in the body so that others are growing, so that the whole body together builds itself up in love. The implication here is that we must not despise or neglect the gifts given to us, 
but should instead find ways to use them for the growth of others. We must not despise or neglect the gifts given to us, but should instead find ways to use them for the growth of others. We may never fulfill the purposes God has for us if we constantly want to be something God has not designed us to be. Now, if you go read 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 20, talking about gifts, it talks about how we have to be guarded and careful to not think that because we've been given these gifts, that's not good enough and desire gifts that God hasn't given to us. Romans 12 talks about, though, we can't neglect to use the gifts that God has given to us. So we don't want to be people who are dissatisfied with how God has gifted us, always wanting to be something that we're not, right? Instead, we want to be the type of people who embrace the gifts that God has given to us and embrace them fully and use them to the best of our abilities to build others up, to not try to shun those or push those away, but to embrace them and to use them for God's glory. The identity truth for us to remember today is that every Christian is called to a state of maturity that comes from listening to truthful teachers and using their gifts to love others. We're called to a state of maturity that comes, that results from listening to truthful teachers and using their gifts to love others. Our application questions as we get ready to leave. Number one, are you content with the spiritual maturity you have attained or are you seeking ways to grow your faith more? Man, just just think about like where you're at spiritually and are you content with where you're at? Have you kind of maxed out in your growth about God and his word? Are you content? Have you, do you feel like you've reached maturehood uh, to where you don't need to, to keep uh, pursuing him and knowing him more? Are you content with the spiritual maturity you've attained? Or are you seeking ways to grow your faith more? The hint here is that you're supposed to be on the back end of that. You're supposed to be seeking ways to grow your faith more. Number two, are you trying to use gifts you don't have? neglecting gifts you do have, or are you currently seeking to use your gifts to grow others? Again, the hint is you're supposed to be on the back end of that, right? We're not trying to use gifts we don't have. We're not neglecting gifts that we do have. We're using the gifts that we have to grow others. Man, I had a hard conversation with some football players after practice on Thursday. We have five or six guys that want to be quarterback for our team. And um, they've all been told by somebody along the lines that they're a quarterback. There was a couple of them I had to kind of pull aside, and I said, hey, um, if you want to play this year, you're going to have to pick a different position. <laughs> like, quarterback, quarterback's not for you this year. Like, your skill set, your abilities, they're just not as good as what some of these other guys have. Um, and, and what I need you to understand is, is that there's some other roles you can play on this team, but you need to be ready to embrace those other roles because right now you're trying to force something that's just not happening. You don't have the skill set for this, right? So as believers, we have to identify where are our gifts, not try to force something that's not there, not try to be something that we're not, not try to have gifts that God hasn't given to us, but to identify the gifts that God has given to us and use those for the service to others, to help grow others up, realizing that as we use those gifts too, we begin to mature even more ourselves. He's given us the ability to learn from his word so that we can be equipped for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, till we attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we're no longer children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. 
Rather, he wants us to be people who speak the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped. When each part is working properly, each part's doing his work, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray together. God, we love you and thank you for your truth. God, we thank you for faithful individuals who have taught us the truth over the years. God, I pray that we would be people who would ground ourselves in that truth so that when falsehood and deceit springs up around us, we would be able to identify it very clearly and quickly and not be swayed by it. God, when our culture is preaching something that's contrary to your word, that we'd be able to see it and identify it and steer clear from it. But God, we realize we're in a culture where falsehood and deception is prevalent around us. And so God, help us to see that we have a responsibility to be mature in our faith, not just for our own protection, but so that we can speak truth and love to those around us, so that we can help correct falsehood, we can correct deceit that others may fall prey to. So God, we want to be people who are equipped with truth, who know you, know the faith, have experienced you. Not just a head knowledge, but a but a real-life knowledge of you being faithful to your people, we have that. We're equipped with that, and we can communicate that to others with an attitude of love. God, give us a desire to mature in this way, to grow up in this way, where we can continue to use our gifts but be able to expound upon those gifts and have a greater influence with those gifts, realizing that as we mature in our faith, we can become more effective in using those gifts to encourage others. And God, help us to see that it takes all of us using our gifts for this local church to grow up and to mature. That it can't just fall on leadership. It can't just fall on C group leaders or elders or deacons. That it's everybody using their gifts. Everybody using the abilities that you've given to them. All of us having a unity of faith to where we can speak truth and love to each other and exhort one another and encourage one another and to do that all the more as we see the day drawing near. God, push us towards maturity even more this week. Help us not to be content with where we're at. Help us to be content with the gifts that you've given us, content to use those gifts that you've given to us. Help us not to neglect them. Help us not to despise them. Help us be faithful to use them this week to to encourage and upbuild others. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.